Hey everyone, welcome to the Unconventional Podcast, where we are going to get right under the skin of the modern day workplace, and more importantly, how the ever-evolving neurodiverse world fits into it. Cue the dramatic music. Now my guest today is someone that I met during my YouTube days. Uh, back in the days when I thought I could make a success on YouTube without realising exactly how hard it was. Ian McLeod is not from around these parts. He's actually joining us from the other side of the pond in the US. Um, so I was really keen to get him on and really understand what it's like uh, in the US when it comes to neurodiversity in the workplace. Is it different? How do they approach it? Um, Ian is a leadership trainer been in leadership a long, long time, still very much doing the YouTube, so he stuck it out a lot longer than I did. Um, and I'm really keen to hear his stance on on things from that side of the pond. So welcome, Ian, a huge welcome. Um, I'm going to hand over to you now, and if you can give us uh, a little bit of background on yourself and the inspiration behind why you do what you do. Awesome. Well, thank you, Andy, for you know having me on. I, I will say I've been a fan of your work with unconventional so I'm excited to just hang out with you today, just in general. Um, my name is Ian McLeod. I, I provide leadership training services to individuals and, and businesses uh, with a focus on, on essentials of performance management. I, I'm leveraging my 15 years management experience um, that culminated from supervisory up to senior manager kind of roles. Uh, I had about five large teams and about 80 staff reporting up to me. So I certainly gained a, a lot of firsthand experience with managing employee performance during that time. I uh, also have about five years experience training new leaders. Um, I was rather fortunate to, to work at an organization. So I worked with the American Cancer Society for, for 20 years uh, and they really valued leadership development and provided routine trainings. So that's, that was my experience with it. Um, uh, and I started really trying to, to apply what I, I learned. It, it was really inspiring to see how you can alter the trajectory of, of a, a struggling employee, you know, build somebody's confidence, develop future leaders, make a real difference by um, simply using what I was taught in those mm -hmm. trainings. Um, after that, I became kind of a nerd of leadership development and I started sharing some of the knowledge on YouTube um during the pandemic and things have slowly kind of progressed and from there so uh, i now have services you can check them out i'm at uh, www.gro-leaders-up.com is where you can find stuff about me that's cool and, and obviously that's where we met wasn't it yes um that's where we first kind of came across each other um and i have to say you um you lasted much longer on YouTube than I did. Um, I, I kind of put together about five videos and then got bored, um, which is typical really of me. But to be honest, the podcast has lasted longer. But I think for me, the podcast has tied in nicely to the brand and the business. So it, it's kind of, there's a bit more of a motivation behind it. But as you know, the YouTube stuff, to do it properly, it, it's a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of editing. Um, and um, how, how have you found it? And what's been your motivation to kind of keep that going all this time? Yeah, so um, regarding YouTube, you know, you were a bit 
Andy, you were a bit further along when I first started, so you were you were several videos in. I, I had just probably had one or maybe two, um, and I recall seeing your funny videos, and I was trying to make some comedy kind of videos myself. Um, so if you ever want to get back into it um, and do a collaboration just for fun, I'd love to do one uh, with you. Um, but as far as motivation goes, you know, I, I'm. It's not a. It's not a huge response, right? It, it, none of none of my videos are ever going viral or any of that kind of stuff. Um, but it's people who are are noticing and, and having questions and asking uh, for more information. And um, you know, with with leadership with management, it's really simple practices that you can put in place to to make a huge difference. And uh, just like I've heard you talk with other, uh, you know, I certainly was listening into the. Um, your uh, podcast with your recent guest Elaine Weir, I mm -hmm. think that's how you say her name, and she kind of has some something similar with with training new managers on on how to lead and, and manage, um, and it's the same kind of idea. Unfortunately, a lot of folks are promoted into management roles and and have no real people management background, and unfortunately, the their employers don't provide that for them. Oftentimes, so they're just thrown into it. Um, so I, I'm, you know, I, again, I started just trying to share simple ideas, and I still try to keep it very simple, um, brief, short, short videos. But um, I'm just inspired by the response I've gotten so far, which is great. Yeah. People, people need this. They do need it, and I think you mentioned there, Elaine. I've known Elaine for quite some time, um, and she does. She really does know her stuff, and I think. The reason that when I started on LinkedIn, it was because, and I was sharing the, the kind of leadership stuff and, and just stuff that I'd learned over the years. And a lot of that was inspired. That that change in the way that I managed was inspired by my son and obviously our connection with autism and, and how that completely changes the way that you see the world. Um, and also the way that you embrace other people as well. And I think, would you would you say that great leadership comes with maturity or do you think that you can teach someone right at the start of their managerial career possibly very young in their maybe early 20s to become a great leader very quickly you know i, I think it, it just in life in general we should never stop learning and developing and growing and that's a big big message that i try to impart with leadership and something that i've tried to embrace but so I, I think there is always potential for growth and the further along you go, the the, the better you should be getting. Mm. Um, you, you know, you definitely want to avoid that kind of performance plateau where you reach some successful level and just kind of level out. That being said, I, I think there is opportunity for new leaders to um, to progress fairly quickly just by learning some basic basic ideas and even the stuff you're talking about more of that kind of empathy and understanding and 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 um and and kind of getting to know to understand somebody's perspective that's i mean that's really at the heart of of what management is it's mm -hmm. it's about understanding your larger purpose as, as an organization as a company and how do we help everyone with their own unique perspectives all mm -hmm. kind of value and reach this this larger goal um, and everybody to see their 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 place in that so um yeah. and that's you know that's kind of the big 
the big thing with with diversity and, and even uh, you know neuro, neurodiversity and, and how it's important to embrace that. So um, yeah, I certainly have experiences with with working with with diverse groups, including people who are neurodiverse and um, uh, and it's about making them feel valued and mm -hmm. finding what what their what their strengths are and, yeah. and leveraging those. Do you think there's a, a shift, I guess, that needs to happen within workplaces globally that we tend to, our, our core focus within the workplace tends to be around numbers, the finance of it all, the, the financial goals. And I think if you were to take a segment of 100 companies, a, a much larger percentage of them would default to that financial conversation as the key goal and the key driver within the business. Do you think globally there needs to be a shift towards having the conversations that you've just mentioned around diversity, inclusion, understanding all the different points of view within a company? Because in my experience, most business owners, they default to how they see the world and they then want every employee to fit into that mold because that's the only mold that computes with them. So then you end up with this segment of people that are happy to work in that way and then a massive group of people that can't find employment or can't find their place in the world that fits because they're just they're not embraced at a deeper level. Do, have you seen that in your in your working career? Uh, you know, absolutely. I mean, I think at the higher up you go, the less connected you are the, to the actual staff and the and the people who doing the work, and so you are looking at numbers. But I think the difference is is instead of trying to to shift that person who's way up here, their their the senior leader shift their mindset down to that individual level. I think it's instead helping them see the value uh, of of that diversity and the importance of that diversity. Um, you know, most most managers, um, I think, are looking for the path of of least resistance. Um, mm. You know, communicating with and supporting someone who is different than themselves can feel challenging. Um, so that they value the easiest path to get the most done because they are looking at those numbers. Um, and they're solely focused on on the task, right? Um, I, I know on your on your episode with with Elaine, uh, y'all had actually articulated the challenges of of managers and kind of even talked about the importance of the the manager for that desire to help make your staff better. Um, easier isn't always better, right? So so part of being a manager is 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 you know that growth happens when your challenge. And there's so many benefits to, to not taking an easy path. I, I think helping people see the benefits of diversity in the workplace, in, including neurodiversity, I think it's the best approach to to further um, change that, that you know you're working towards. Mm -hmm. Have you have you read Adam Grant's book Think Again? Have you seen his book? Uh, if I'm honest, Ian, I'm I'm not a reader. Um, I'm I'm really not a reader. Um, which is, I, I, some parts of me sometimes think, do you know what, you should read more. Um, but but by default, I'm not a reader. I have to be honest. Uh, I mean, so Adam Grant, and he's you know uh, kind of a famous organizational psychologist. Does a bunch of TED talks. Has multiple best-selling books out. He's got a, a newer book. Um, uh, 
uh, I think it came out last year called Think Again. And, and it's really about the benefits of rethinking, questioning and challenging your, your thoughts and ideas. Uh, a, a big part of the argument is, is companies with companies with homogenous thinking, right? Meaning everyone thinks and talks and acts the same. They stay stagnant. They, they don't grow. They don't excel. Diverse companies, and there's he's he backs this up with a, a ton of research um, and examples that diverse companies excel in innovation, performance, retention, overall brand success. So um, diversity isn't just about it's the right or, or moral thing to do. There's actual value and benefit and actually on a financial level, right? Like on a dollar sign level, the a company that embraces diversity um, because at, at its core, what you're really what you're looking for, diversity leads to diverse thought and that then leads to innovation, better yeah. performance, uh, improvements all around. So that that's really what I, I would if if I was trying to shift the the mindset about instead of focusing on the numbers, focus more on the people, it's it's helping people understand the value that if you focus on the people and the value that they bring, you're going to improve your financial situation. Did you know that the unconventional brand has three arms? The podcast you're listening to right now, unconventional apparel, where a percentage of the profits go to the National Autistic Society, and most recently, Think Unconventional, a social media company with busy business owners and CEOs in mind, putting your social media presence on the social media map. It's funny you say that actually, because it, it's similar to the, the point I raised with Elaine around, you even experienced managers that have been doing it for a long time and they've perhaps seen financial success. You almost need to go into it now, not forgetting everything you know, but regularly hitting the reset button to say, okay, that stuff served me well in the past, but things are moving at such a fast pace. People's mindset is changing at such a fast pace. The way they see the world is changing. I, every so often I need to hit the reset button and go, right, educate me because I don't know it all. Um, and I think that that just that notion probably comes quite hard to a lot of managers that have been doing it for a long long time where they do think that experience is the be all and end all of of life and that everyone underneath them should learn from their experience but the trouble is when you all you do is take from the person above to then create your own journey nothing changes because and and not enough companies probably allow a culture of comfortably managing up they, they probably make managing up a bit difficult because some people don't like it they don't like the challenge um, and I think for me you've you've really got that spot on there it isn't just about morally it's right to have neurodiverse people in your workplace you know it's not about going on social media and saying we hire loads of autistic people look at us we're great it's actually proving that these businesses that have done that that have been more diverse that have gone through that transition period of have 
uh, embracing people's differences and looking at, at different ways of thinking and doing things have also seen financial success as well. Like the, the, uh, and, and if you can, there's no hiding place once you show that evidence. Even the people that are resistant to it and think that by us saying morally it's right and it's the way the world's going to evolve, when you show the financial backup, you, you literally, there's nowhere to hide. Right, right. And that's, and that's really at the heart of, of this. It, it, uh, if I was trying to persuade a company or a business to embrace diversity, including neurodiversity, and, and we're talking about just really at the heart of it, we're talking about diverse thought, diverse thinking, and getting away from hom- homogenous thinking where everybody kind of thinks the same and we're all doing the same thing that we've been doing for decades. I would focus on the financial aspect of it and that it is proven that companies that excel in the things that all companies want to excel in, innovation, performance, retention, brand success, do that because they have, they they value diversity and they value, they value diverse thought. I think that the, the challenge, and and this is something even you know you and Elaine talked about before. I keep referencing back to your previous podcast, but I think it's so helpful to build on these, these conversations. Um, it, the 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 point is is that, and I heard y'all making this is that you have somebody who's doing a good job here, then they're promoted up, and they keep kind of building up, right? But they never really learn that people management is not what they were doing and just micromanaging these people down down here or telling them this is how you do it because this is how I did it. it, it it's it's managing people, managing human behavior. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of that is being curious, is listening to like you said, I mean you need to listen. You need to listen to your staff and the companies that again, you know, there's 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 American companies that Southwest Airlines, uh, Harley Davidson, I mean, they invested in listening to their staff directly and they were able to benefit from that and, and flourish while other companies failed because they, they didn't embrace what the what the employees were actually saying. You've mentioned there actually some big brands, um, huge brands that are embracing the need for that diversity. And I think what's interesting is if you come down, some would argue that it's easy for the big brands. It's easy for the big brands because they can afford all of the training and the and the coaching and the and the nurture element of bringing those different people into to businesses that perhaps aren't going to conform with our ideal model employee. Um, the argument, I guess, from smaller companies would be, I would love to be more diverse. I would love to be able to employ people that have a, a different perspective to us because we do genuinely believe that that could change our business. But there's a naivety there around, yeah, but what are they going to come with? What extra support am I going to need to give them to actually get that out of them in the long run? And honestly, right now, as a business, we don't have that time and resource to be able to do that. So I'm going to default to people that just fit my vision so that I can get to where I need to get to quicker. Would you say that's a fair argument at the moment being made? Absolutely. Well, you know, I I don't know if it's, 
I don't know if it's the right argument, but it's the argument that that, that they're making consistently. Mm-hmm. And I hear that from a it's so interesting now. You know, I, um, I I'm still relatively new to this whole leadership training thing. As far as a business, I, I started in, in February this year. Um, so I, I'm trying to acquire clients and what I'm running into a lot of is this place who, that is indicating they're having all these challenges. And my solution is you need to train your leadership team. Your leadership team never received any training and they, they need that. They need to understand the basics, kind of the essentials of how you manage performance and you lead people. Um, and. And their argument to your point oftentimes is, well, I'm I'm too busy putting out fires and dealing with all these escalations. And what it is, is that they're they're reaction, they're reactionary, they're reacting to everything instead of being proactive, that they're, they're lacking that strategy. Um, and it's that kind of hard, higher understanding of, of what your purpose is and how it all fits together. So I, I think I get it totally that in when you're just looking at the immediate right now time and finances is is difficult and so you need to you think you need to um you think you need to 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 focus on just getting stuff done and being reactionary but you're never going to grow and you're just going to stay there forever and it's going to be those are the places unfortunately that that then develop this work environment that Mm. is not conducive to to people enjoying it and they they mm. they have problems with their retention and turnover morale performance mm. and they just stay in this place um so i have kind of an example and it's kind of a, a thought um that that i had um so hopefully i'll make sense with it here um you know listening to your podcast and thinking about this more and this is kind of more of just a specific example of how companies could leverage neurodiverse staff. Um, and I, I wish I had thought about this and leveraged this opportunity when I was in, in management. And maybe, um, maybe this has already been done, but um, if one of the, the challenge, and, and you know, you, you're certainly obviously way more aware of this, but one of the challenges it sounds like for neurodiverse staff is coping um, with anxiety and almost like a debilitating kind of anxiety, right? Um, so why not work on creating an environment to support and, and minimize that anxiety? Um, the, the, the Center for Disease Control here, here in the States um, estimates that absenteeism has a, um, about a $225 billion impact. So $225 billion impact to our economy each year in the States. So people being out, people being absent. Um, I, I'm sure you could probably research that deeper and probably find some data that, that uh, and I would bet a big portion of that is related to anxiety and panic. Um, creating an environment that counteracts or, or helps manage anxiety for those who have had some of the most severe anxiety challenges would be seriously beneficial for that company for all. Um, uh, you know, I, I myself have have experienced panic and anxiety. Uh, I certainly kept it hidden and, and silent as best I can, but um, it's something I think a lot of people are impacted by. So just the, the idea alone of you could 
benefit from just learning from your neurodiverse staff as far as what would help them to reduce their anxiety. That, on, in turn, you could apply to the entire organization. That, in turn, would reduce potentially reduce absenteeism. That, in turn, has a huge financial impact on your business, right? So, um, those kind of things, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I think this would be tremendously helpful, um, and I guarantee you this would alone would be, uh, you know, help companies see the value of neurodiversity in their workforce. So, uh, actually, you raise such a, a great point there around anxiety, um, and the thing is, yes neurodiverse if you if you take i mean my son for example he's high functioning um autism in the sense that academically he's where he should be um he's on par with a lot of the children in his class so we never really struggle in that sense where jake struggles is the um uh, social anxiety and kind of just general anxiety around being outside of his comfort zone or doing things that have been sprung on him and stuff like that. And the thing is, my wife works in a school and that doesn't, that isn't exclusive to neurodiverse children. It's actually relevant to all of us. And what happens is, and the reason it's so important to do exactly what you've just said and actually provide outlets for that anxiety within the workplace is because even neurotypicals or people that that are they think they're neurotypical, but potentially could be neurodiverse. They're just not diagnosed. They suffer all day, every day, with anxiety around something. But the difference with a neurotypical over a neurodiverse is that a neurotypical will mask it, and they will keep it together, keep it together for their work purposes, and then they'll get home, and it will come out in other ways. And then that ruin that that affects relationships at home and stuff like that. And if the relationships at home are affected, then that in turn then ultimately affects affects the work relationship uh, relationship as well. So the anxiety thing around, and this is where leadership plays such a massive part in trying to not only provide an outlet for people so that they, it doesn't build up inside them, but also provide different outlets for people to go and communicate in different ways or take time out or you know so that there isn't this one size fits all culture within the business is is important regardless of whether you employ neurodiverse or not i think it's so important that that that's in place yeah and i think that's the thing is that you can learn so quickly if you focus on people who are maybe impacted most by this anxiety, right? If you could set up a, a, a space where you're reducing that anxiety for someone who's neurodiverse, who may who may outwardly um, you know be impacted by their anxiety, then of course it's going to benefit everyone who's feeling anxiety at some level. And again, if companies would just see, I mean again, I'm talking about just in the US, alone absenteeism is 225 billion dollars a year impact to our economy just here in the states thinking globally or just thinking even at, i mean you could probably do the numbers fairly quickly at your company to see the impact that absenteeism is, is having at a company 
and see that there is benefit to reducing that absenteeism alone. I mean, that, and you were talking about, you know, all the, I mean, there's, then there's other impacts to productivity, to, to, to this person, their overall health, right? I mean, even if me being anxious and, and having panic attacks, and maybe I'm, I'm not demonstrating that outwardly, but that's now impacting me and my, my immune system's low and now I'm sick or, or what have you. I mean, that alone, and that's just one benefit I see from employee employing neurodiverse staff, right? I, that's just one benefit. Um, it, it, you know, I will say I'm, I'm stealing this idea a bit from um, not to compare it, uh, people to, to cattle, but there was that, that, that famous story about uh, Temple Grandin. Um, there was a movie about her. She was here in the, the States and she was somebody who had uh, autism and she applied, you know, her ideas that her ideas dealing with autism and anxiety and all of that um, to to improve conditions for livestock, ultimately leading to efficiency and all of that kind of stuff. So, not saying that that people are cattle, but she obviously was able to take things that she saw from it, and that's the whole point of what I was trying to make is that she saw something from a completely different perspective mm-hmm. um, and and had a different voice, and it was highly beneficial and and luckily somebody actually listened to her and she made a big difference made made a big impact yeah it's it's interesting as well because i see it it's not just in the workplace it's also in schools and you've you've touched on um such an important point there about absenteeism and then the and the money that is lost in the u.s economy and globally due to people not turning up for work every day and you know, it's a simple thing. And we, you know, we look at it and say, okay, someone hasn't come to work, they're sick. Uh, I would love to see a stat, and you probably never know, because people won't be honest about it, how much of that absenteeism is actually what you and I would traditionally call as sick, as in, I've been throwing up all night. And what percentage of it is, I don't want to be in that environment today because that environment really doesn't help me and makes me anxious and my manager really puts puts too much pressure on me in the wrong type of way and I just can't get my head around that today. I would say that there is a much higher percentage of that than there is typical sickness. Um, and you know, I see it in we see it in schools as well. My wife is one to one to a six year old autistic boy and they've got a fantastic bond. Um, but his um, attendance is fairly, is quite poor. And I know that most of that is because he just can't deal with the school system as it, as it is, the traditional school system. And I think that doesn't change as you get older. I think there's this perception that Children, they get all the support. In, and this is what frustrates me. And I said this to, to Elaine. Children get support right up until 11 or 12 in the UK. And I'll speak about it in the UK because that's what I know. They then go to secondary school. And all of a sudden, it's like, it's almost like, well, they've grown out of autism. And you think, honestly, are you joking? So they go into secondary school and the support level starts to drop because the, the, the system believes as they get older, they'll be able to cope with things better on their own okay there might be an element of that to some degree but there will be some level of support still within the school system 
They then leave school and the support completely stops because they then go into a work environment. There isn't any acknowledgement of the fact that everyone is different and that and that some people need different level levels of support than others. Some people need to communicate differently to other people, different types of outlets. They go into work and it's one size fits all or tough. And I think and and that is ultimately what the, our biggest challenge is in the work environment. It's we don't take the school system and say, can we learn anything from that? Can we learn what they do in school? I'm not saying schools are perfect because they're not, but there is a, a lot of support for children within the school system, especially for neurodiverse children, that instantly stops the second they leave school. That There is no system anywhere to support that person into work um, because generally businesses as you quite rightly said right at the start of this podcast want the path of least resistance right and they what and the, the challenge is is that the, this idea that the path of least resistance is going to bring them the biggest financial mm-hmm. return and mm-hmm. short term potentially but it, it's it's going to be stagnant it's going to hit a hit walls it's going to have you're going to you're talking about also having all kinds of other problems that are are causing a, re, a reduction in in monetary gain. So it's not a good way to operate business, um, unfortunately. And I think that's really the 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 focus that that I try to to bring, or what I even try to talk about is is that these things are good for humans and humanity and society, but there's even that aside there's also just the aspect of this is good for business you know treating people well making people feel valued understanding that that everyone has a voice including and 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 the the more voices you can get the more diversity you can get the more diverse thinking you can get the the better outcome you're going to have i mean this is going to have a financial gain for you so I, I would encourage every company to rethink um, how their how their approach is. Uh, and again, you know, I, I'm taking ideas from Adam Grant. He obviously wrote a book about it and has a lot of research to support it. So if anyone's questioning that, I would look there. But you can look at the, you know, at, at any of these kind of um, uh, monetary impacts again I was just throwing out one idea of, of with absenteeism but you I'm sure you could probably look at any of those and it and then you could tie it back to the fact that that we're not understanding how to support people correctly and we need to do a better job uh, so something too I, I will say too with what's interesting is making that connection between the school system and and going into the workplace um, I, I think that this is unfortunately these problems are starting there at a school system level and they just continue on we have this kind of archetype of how we think that we're supposed to support people and manage people and you know i mean supporting children teaching children there's a big element of management in that as well and we're not doing necessarily the best job there and it just carries over into into the workplace. Um, yeah, I, I, I think uh, I think 
training people and teaching people about these kind of things about human behavior about the importance of how we support people is important at all levels and it could it could should start at a much earlier level um one one of the interesting things one of the things that have things that when i'm doing training i talk about um, delivering feedback and how people receive feedback and there's this idea uh, sorry, I'm getting getting kind of off, going on a tangent here, um, but there's this idea of, of receptivity to feedback and people have kind of ways that they oftentimes deal with that. So you have like the the arguer personality, you have the defender, you have the the joker, the, the self-critic. So if I receive feedback and I, I automatically go to a place of like, um, well, you know, that's that's just me, you know, I'm an idiot um, and that's kind of the Joker personality. Or if I go to so if you provide me feedback, Andy, and then I'm like, well, you know, I guess I'm just terrible and, and I, I suck at everything and I'm horrible. And and that's all these things are really a defense mechanism to, you know, what I'm doing is I'm trying to get you to minimize that feedback. And that really starts at a young age like that's something you can't change like oftentimes people aren't aren't aware of how they respond to to feedback and that's oftentimes starting at a young age because people are getting feedback so early in their life and they're trying to figure out how to how to manage that and how to defend themselves in that situation so all fascinating stuff I, again i could probably talk for hours on this the, it is and and it brings me on to a couple of points actually one of which is about feedback and I talk a lot and, and I've come under a little bit of fire for it as well. Um, I talk a lot about delivery and we, my wife and I have had to get very good over the years at delivering feedback because Jake takes things in a certain way that, that perhaps others wouldn't, wouldn't take it in that way. And it made me change the way that I managed. It made me change the way that I was with my teams and I looked at each individual and in my head, I was thinking, okay, the for me, the idea of feedback is to get a positive outcome, even if it's what people would call traditionally negative feedback. And I never really saw it as that. I only ever saw feedback as how can I get a positive outcome from what I'm about to deliver to this person? So you have to adjust the delivery depending on the person you're 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 speaking to. So for me delivery was so important, but I came under fire because in my opinion outdated managers would just say to me sometimes people need to hear things they don't want to hear. And while I get that and I understand it and and with all the best will in the world you're never going to be able to tell people everything that they want to hear. Sometimes people do need to hear something that at the time isn't going to sit well. But in time, they get the message and, and something positive comes from it. So delivery for me is is absolutely key. But the second part of what I want to touch on while we've still got time is I'm so pleased that you've come on and talked about the financial impact of diversity. Because I think, and I've been guilty of this before, I think generally what we do when we're in that uh, autism and neurodiverse space we talk about it from a very passionate and personal perspective and we talk about it as a moral obligation to be diverse within the workforce 
employ people that think differently to you so that you can go and grow your business. But I think for most business owners, the reason they are a business owner and they have grown their companies is because they are financially driven. And they want to continue to grow their business because they think about the numbers. That is what they think about. No matter how long you and I sit here and say, you've got it backwards, you should be thinking about people first, then the numbers, we're never going to get that message across to, to, to everyone. So to be able to then back up our moral obligation stories with actually the numbers back this up, that's just game changing for me, completely game changing. Well, you know, I think that the larger point, I mean, probably one of the most essential components to management and people management is meeting people where they are, right? And so you talked about even your delivery of feedback. You need to tailor that to the individual. You need to meet them where they are. Um, Daniel Pink is this, uh, he's a, an author uh, and, and famous when he talks about persuasion and the art of persuasion. A lot of that's been used in, in sales um, is really his focus. Um, but it is, it, it is, his main point is understanding the other person's perspective so you can meet them where they are and everybody has their own unique perspective. I, I mean, you and I might be talking more about what we should do this because we care about the individual and i don't, I don't uh, and it's not to say that a business op- owner or or those in in executive kind of senior leadership positions um don't care about individuals but to your point they do have to care about the finances and the reason why the bigger picture is the big and this is kind of a, a helping people understand bigger picture in general, I think is so important. But the bigger picture for them, their perspective is, is that if this company fails, if it doesn't succeed, then all these people that I do care about, they lose their jobs, right? They're not employed. Our mission, whatever we're trying to do as a company, and hopefully they have some sort of inspiring purpose and mission, whatever it is to to make the world a better place in some capacity, that that is lost if if the company fails. So speaking to that aspect of their finances is always so important. And I think, again, um, with diversity in general, there's substantial evidence to show that that companies that embrace diversity and leverage those diverse thoughts um, are, are more successful. Mm. I'll give you an example, actually, while we've while we're um, on that subject, the company that I worked for 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 ten and a half years before I left and actually went to a U.S. company, <laughs> and the U.S. company just it them and I just didn't get on, um, and that's a story for another day. But the company that I was at for ten and a half years, the owner of the business, he he always had my back, completely always had my back. He was he was. Uh, very, very intelligent, switched on marketeer. Um, he he knew about Jake. When when we found out all those years ago, he kind of was there for me in any way I needed. But by default, he wasn't really a people person. He didn't do small talk. He used to keep himself over in the corner of the big office doing his thing. He was the hardest worker in the room. If you spoke to him for longer than a minute, he was bored because he used to want you to get to the point 
But I had the utmost respect for him because when it mattered, he was there. But a business needs people focus 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So what he did, he recognized that that wasn't him. So he employed people like me to do that part of the business for him so that he could just do the numbers and the little projects and the bits that he wanted to do to, to worry about the 50, 60 staff. And in, in the knowledge that he had really good people that did the people bit um, and that got a real kick out of that element of the job. And I think that to me is the... That's the scenario. If you're in, if you're honest with yourself about what your skill set is, don't try and fit a square peg in a round hole. Tailor the people around you to cover the the, the, the most important base, which is the people that that make you the money. Right. Well, and what you're talking about there, uh, that what he what he saw his strengths were versus his challenges or weaknesses, and he he filled in those gaps with employing people who do have mm. those strengths that were his weaknesses. I mean, that's mm. strength-based leadership. And I'm a huge proponent of that. I, I don't know if you've, so there's a, a whole series of, of, again, talking about books. Um, I, I read a lot of these <laughs> books and pull a lot, of, but um, uh, Gallup, the organization Gallup, yeah. you know, a, a global uh, company that does a ton of research. Um, they have this Clifton, uh, ser strength series um, and they have so it's strength finders and they have all these different books that are kind of related to to strengths um, and they one book is about strength-based leadership um, and essentially what it is is helping people identify their strengths and understanding that everyone has their own strengths um, on the on the opposite side the flip side of it they also have a weakness too right oftentimes your your strength it it causes this weakness. So for me, um, uh, my one of my strengths is is being innovative and kind of big picture thinker, um, uh, you know that kind of thing. On the flip side, what that also causes me is to not be as organized or task oriented or like getting stuff done. Right? Um, those individuals who are who are very task oriented, who are detail oriented who are, are focused and organized and getting things done, they sometimes can struggle with being innovative and, and big picture thinking. Um, you put us both together and, and you make sure that both sides value each other. You mm -hmm. have an amazing team, right? You have a team that can really get stuff done. So you have mm -hmm. somebody who, who, who my counterpart might be, you know, Ian, shut up. We need to get stuff. Let, let's move forward. Stop. Stop, stop being here in the clouds. We need mm. to get down to the business. And yeah. then me also challenging them to think, okay, let's think a little bit bigger before we just start running with it. That, that makes an amazing team. And, and I, I think that's where, again, when you get into that, I, I guarantee you, even those, those staff who have neurodiversity going on and your neurodiverse staff or just all your staff in general, they all have varying strengths and it's just a matter of finding what those strengths are and mm -hmm. leveraging those and focusing mm -hmm. and sharpening those, those strengths and, and making sure to value them. Mm -hmm. uh, and you'll have an amazing team. And that's, I will tell you, that's, you just, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. That's what made that workplace, that company that you, you enjoyed working for so important because you were valued for what you brought mm -hmm. to the table. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And I, I really was. And, and let's be clear, I wasn't the easiest employee. Um, hence why I now work for myself. And, and they got, they really, they really embraced what I was good at. They accepted the things I wasn't. Um, there was a, my fellow, uh, there was two of us that kind of led the two big teams within the company. He was the polar opposite of me. And I think that was done deliberately. And and we got on brilliantly, the two of us, because we accepted what we were good at and what we weren't so good at, and the other one filled the gaps. Um, and that worked. It really did work. Um, for me, the only reason I left is because I felt like I had 10 years and I just became a bit stale and I wasn't giving the value that I once was and I felt like it was my time. And ultimately, it was the right move because it led me to where I am now. Um, which is exactly where I feel like I I should be. So, um, Ian, we've almost done an hour, and I can't believe that that's gone. That's absolutely flown, and it's been an absolute pleasure um, uh, hearing your take on things today. I think. Um, uh, could, well, uh, I'll say that again. Um, good luck with the business. I know you mentioned that it's early days uh, for you as uh, doing doing your your thing, but. Um, I honestly think after speaking to you today and getting an insight into what you're about that people could um, could hugely benefit from you actually in their business, talking to them and, and helping them with their young leaders. So um, so thank you very much for, t- for giving up your time. It's been an absolute pleasure today. Yeah, thank you, Andy. I really appreciate the opportunity. I, I, nerd, about, I nerd out about this stuff all the time. So it's just fun to talk to another adult about these things um so man i just appreciate hanging out with you you're a great person and i really am a fan of of what you're doing with unconventional so keep up the great work as well and man anytime you want to connect or chat uh, i'm here just reach out thanks very much ian